Good morning. Welcome to Another Words. I'm your host, Susan Scher. Glad to have you with us. My guest today, this one is, is very near and dear to my heart. <laughs> Almost literally. We'll get to that in a second. Hi, Lisa. It's Lisa Lindahl. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Susan. Good morning. <laughs> uh, Lisa is the creator of the now ubiquitous sports bra, but she had pretty much the first one out there. And True. I, well, yeah, th- there was one other kind of, sort of, before you, but it, um, it wasn't very effective, and we'll talk about that one. But, you know, I've heard people say, I, I've, I've heard women say, I must have met a man who invented bras. Well, no, it was a woman with boobs who invented bras. Because we know how much better, as, as uncomfortable as they may be, it's better to have them than not. And when you get to exercising, oh my gosh. I mean, I almost stopped running, seriously. I was really trying to get myself in shape. I, was, I wanted to do triathlons. Wow. And, well, yeah, see, I know now that that was a rather uh, high-flown goal. But see, at the time... The only people I knew who worked out at all were triathletes. So it just seemed reasonable to me. That's kind of amazing, Susan. It is. It is. When I look back at it, it's like, no. That, oh, in fact, I, I wrote this, and one thing I wrote, that um, triathlon seemed the next logical step. And then I wrote, I have since learned triathlon is never the next logical step. But anyway... <laughs> I almost did not become a triathlete because it hurt so much to run. Now, this was back in 85, so the product did exist, but it was not well known, and it certainly wasn't what we have today. So Lisa, well, first of all, let me spell her last name for you. It's L-I-N-D-A-H-L if you want to look it up. And, of course, if you're listening to the, to the radio show or podcast, you're seeing it there, but... Lisa, tell us a little about how the jog bra came to be. We know where the need came from. Who was it who recognized the need that, that, I mean, in your orbit so that you set out to develop it? Well, uh, it was me because I was (laughs) running at the time, and um, I was, like you, quite uncomfortable, and I actually was wearing um, a traditional bra that was a size too small, thinking that that would help... To hold things hold in place my, better, right? Well, somehow help hold my bosoms in in some way, but that was uncomfortable, and and the straps dug in my shoulders, or then they stretched out and fell off my shoulders. Right. And, and then there's the hooks. There's the oh. hooks in the back. And also, at the time, I was running with a, sometimes, um, I would have a running partner who was a guy, and in the hot summer, he'd just take off his T-shirt, and I was so, (laughs) you know, I was like, really? How come? Yeah. Then one day, my sister called me up. She lived uh, at the time, uh, was she in California? Anyway, she called me, and she wanted to start running, and um, she said, what in heck do you do? What do you wear for a bra? And I told her, size <laughs> too small. And she said, and she meant it as a joke, she said, you know, why isn't there a jock strap for women? And we laughed uproariously. We thought that was so funny. But when I hung up the phone, I thought, you know, that isn't so funny. What, what, if, yeah. what would that look like? And she says, no, no, Lisa, you said at the time on the phone, gee, I think I'll do that. Now, I don't remember that, but <laughs> so I, I sat down and wrote down what such a thing would have to do. You know, no, nothing that would chafe, you know, no hooks and eyes. And it would have, to, at the time I was so naive, I thought it would have to eliminate breast movement while well, we know that <laughs> And uh, yeah no straps that would fall off the shoulders. And, you know, I just wrote it all down. But, Susan, here's my little secret. I yeah? don't I don't sew. I have never 
uh, I actually flunked sewing in eighth grade. Seriously? I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> I, I didn't. <laughs> well, well, I did. I actually. I, well, for, for, for those of you listening, for those of you listening who don't know what we're talking about, in what was then junior high, it's now uh, middle school. Boys took shop and girls took home ec, and you learned cooking, sewing, and cleaning, and these were required yeah. courses. And you flunked sewing, huh? I well, I think they were kind and gave me a D. <laughs> so they wouldn't have to have you go through it again, huh? They wouldn't yeah, have to deal with you again. <laughs> but in that same class was my uh, my dear friend Polly, and she aced sewing. She would she took to it like a fish to water. And that summer that I had this idea, uh, 1977, of a bra for running, which was how I thought of it at the time, she was actually, um, she lived in Manhattan, but she, I, I was in Vermont, and she was renting a room for me that summer uh, so that she could build the costumes for a Shakespeare festival. But Yeah, she took to sewing so well that she actually made it a career, didn't she? She did. She was. She was. A, is a costume designer. So yeah. I went upstairs where she was hiding out in her room and said, "Polly, help me make this thing." <laughs> and she rolled her eyes a lot. <laughs> oh dear. Anyway, so it was very naive marketing, Susan. I just thought because I wanted it, I bet a lot of other women did. And, well. You were right about that, but that's not marketing. That just means there is a market. Mm. Well, you know, if I had done marketing research, if I'd been like a business student or something and done marketing research, I never would have done it because the bra market per se had been, oh dear, I'm going to say this, had been flat for decades. <laughs> <laughs> because... Uh, it was the middle of the 70s, and women were had just been burning their bras, and they, you know, they had what they wanted. So, in the bra industry itself, they were just stealing market share. All the big bra manufacturers were just stealing market share from each other. There had been no growth, and um, I hadn't thought about that. I hadn't thought about that, but bra burning was actually quite real. Yeah, yeah, really. And there were some women that weren't wearing bras, you know, and um, at all. Mm -hmm. And um, but I didn't know that at the time. I was just <laughs> wanting to make this thing that I wanted, and um, so it it was um, just that simple. And it turns out that this concept of the sports bra did, in fact, increase um, a sports uh, not, uh, bra sales because every woman had to it eventually, and every athletic woman had to have this in her drawer. It was different from her other bras. So absolutely, every, yeah. Eventually, every. Um, Every manufacturer of bras jumped on the bandwagon and came up with their version of a sports bra. We see, that's the thing. Market research may have told you that the market was down, but it also would have told you that the demand would be there if people knew that the product existed to be demanded. Hmm. I wonder. I, I, I don't know. Well, anyway, I didn't do the market research. So yeah, okay. So. You know. <laughs> I just know that everyone in my little community, this is the triathlon community, just was so excited about this new thing that that uh, didn't chafe. Where where were you at the time, Susan? What part of the world? I was in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh huh. Uh huh. The South. And South it existed. Um, not everyone wore them, but then a lot of uh, of them are, uh, as was the bra market, flat, so it didn't bother them quite as much. And 
you know, now your first uh, bra, it was actually a jock bra because it was made from jocks, jock straps, and we're going to get to that in a second. But all we knew of were the, as my sister said, the ones that work on the schmush principle. Right, right. Which well, is called compression. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, and there are two ways that bras are, are constructed. We didn't know at the time that bras were not, um, they were designed by engineers, really. Really? Uh, well, at, at the time, way back, um, when I went up to Polly and asked her to help me, the reason why she rolled her eyes was she said, Lisa, there's only one thing more difficult to design than a bra, and that's a shoe. And I thought, oh. Why? It's right because it has, yeah, it has to fit so many different places under so many different activities. I never thought of that. Well, and it's not just fit, although that's a big part of it. It's also support. It's not oh, yeah. just about draping. It, it's um, support. So yeah. it, it's very complicated, but I talked her into it. and. <laughs> <laughs> And we spent that summer trying a lot of prototypes. And as as you said, the the first prototype that really worked was two jock straps that were cut in half and sewn back together again. Um, cut in half? You mean the part that goes around? Well, in a guy, the waist, but in a woman, the chest, uh, just below the, the right. bust line, right? Yeah. Okay. The man's cup became it cupped the breast. And his right. the waistband became a rib band, and mm -hmm. um, the straps went over the shoulders and crossed in back. You know that that whole um, I think I mean I think that whole uh, silhouette of the what is now ubiquitous of that T strap in the back of a bra it really didn't ex mm -hmm. exist except in the um, swimsuits and even then competition swimsuits until we moved uh -huh. into a bra. And were you the first ones to do it? Because, you know, I don't even remember what mine, my first one was like. Your first one was probably crossed straps in the back. And then um, we modified that later and made it a, that tea back. And with mm -hmm. a key, not a key, a, a little hole at the bottom where it right, is. The, um, oh, oh, I yeah. Think, I think we were. I think, I, I believe we were the first ones to put that into a bra. Okay. Well, thank you. <laughs> so just for a second, let's talk about the one that came before yours. And I love this name, and I know where they got it from, but what were they thinking? Free Swinging Tennis Bra. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, <laughs> well, the idea is you didn't want them to be free swinging. <laughs> well, and I believe that that was um, a tradition, what I refer to as a traditional bra that was just being marketed as a tennis bra because it was uh, white. <laughs> oh, of and course you know, it was. Back then, back then, everyone had to wear white to play tennis. That's right. I think it was Andre Agassi, wasn't it, who brought the first color on the court? I don't know. That could. I don't know. That could be. But it is that recent, is the point. Yes. Yes. You know, it's maybe maybe yes. 30 years ago, if that. I, I do yeah. believe that tennis bra was, because uh, uh, we looked at it back then and couldn't see anything that was functionally unique about it. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I took it, a look at it. What did you think? I, I, I didn't understand it. I didn't see where it fit. I, I, that's not exactly what I meant, um, although maybe it is. I didn't see how it would help. 
Well, and was that an old one that you looked at or a current one? I didn't know they had current ones. No, I, I uh, did a search for the original uh-huh. sports bra. And and that one came up, and I looked at it, and it's like, well, it's a good sales angle, but <laughs> I don't think it's going to do anything. Well, yeah, I do believe that that's what was behind it, that it was just a marketing, I hate to say gimmick, but, you know, how can we sell a bra? Well, let's say it's for tennis, you know. Wow. I mean, seriously, you've heard that is what was going on with that? No, I haven't heard it. That's just what I believe. Okay. I can certainly see where you would assume that. I'm not going to say it's wrong. Um, But whatever their intent, it wasn't very effective. Correct. It certainly wasn't what I, at the time, was looking for as a bra that would make my running uh, more comfortable. No. Mm -mm. And, you know, and I have to say, what we came up with for those that first year, the the product, um, it certainly was not attractive. (laughs) It was functional. Yeah, well, I remember that. My first jog bra, I mean, as soon as I found out they existed, because I would run with my arms across my chest. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I found out they existed, I ran right out and got one. And, you know, you say it's not lingerie, it's sporty, sports equipment, but it looked like underwear. Not lingerie, but underwear. Uh-huh. And really, they were not designed to be worn uh, they weren't designed to be worn without something over them. Correct. And I remember one time I had just done a long run. Uh, I think it was like 13 miles or something, and it was really hot. And I just said, you know, I don't care who's around. It's hot. I'm taking my shirt off. And I did. And there were a couple of guys that happened to be there, and they just – they, they didn't stare, but they looked at like, well, that's, that's odd. She's in her underwear. And then they just kept going. But it was underwear. It, it was not, uh, th- there weren't colors. It didn't look too different from the jock bra. Well, it, um, I'm not quite clear why you're making that distinction with jock bra because, in fact, you know, we initially started, when we initially started, I called it the jock bra because, but then we found that in the South and the Southeast, jock was not such a right. great word. So that's when I changed it to jog bra. It and did have. never was on it, the market. Yeah, we forget well, that jock used to be a derogatory term. Right. Right, so yeah. we couldn't use it, although it, it would have been a better name in that it wouldn't have been sports-specific. Right. But, you know, I think it was the color because we, you know, in the first year or so, it came in white and beige, and um, once we started introducing colors, then it was easier to take off one's t-shirt and then of course we started yes. doing different styles that were meant to be worn alone and and let's not forget this was the era of when madonna the singer <laughs> on the scene she ready. wore her underwear on the outside absolutely and so that started to change people's perceptions and also oh and also um you know, Title IX had just come into effect. Right. And just just real, real briefly, Title IX is what assured, this is not all that it was, but it assured that women, that girls in school got as much access to team sports as boys did. So. And the reason they got as much access is because the, uh, the money was allocated. Right. So, Right, so that's what Title IX did. So, so go ahead. 
You're saying well, that this is right at Title IX time. Right. So um, having, you know, you were talking about how you didn't do certain sports or, or felt funny. I have heard from so many girls and young women who did not participate in school sports or extracurricular activities because they were uncomfortable and self-conscious conscious about their breasts. <laughs> not Nobody talked about them. Nobody talked about Nobody them back then either. About it. No, that's, that's absolutely true. And so with the advent of a sports bra that really helped erase that barrier, whether it was a perceived barrier or, or a very real one in terms of comfort. And with the oh, Title IX really making and helping schools uh, have women's sports, it was such the right product at the right time. That's true. I never thought about that. But i got to tell you, it wasn't just perceived discomfort without a jog bra. It was discomfort. It oh, was absolutely. I think I was trying to make the distinction between comfort and discomfort. The perceived um, self-consciousness. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Of a young girl going out there. Yeah, yeah, and and that's when they are the most insecure about their bodies. Absolutely. So you know, this is interesting because I know how the jog bra changed my world but what I wasn't really paying attention to was it changed the world I mean the the playing field it's it's never going to be entirely level because as you say you cannot completely prevent breast movement but it came so close well, it still comes close you can you can make the breast movement far more comfortable mm -hmm. and that and not um, enter into the the consciousness of the athlete so that it's distracting and and in fact the Smithsonian recently made a statement or they have a collection of jog bra materials because they feel that that the sports bra was as important as Title IX in changing <sighs> women's and girls' attitudes towards sports and being athletic. Now, wow. Big. Yeah. That really is. Now, how does that make you feel? Terrific. Well, yeah, I knew that. I was wondering if there was anything more. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, actually, I will tell you that um, it, it gave me great closure about that period of my life. And also, um, I had, I really thought that my work with the Epilepsy Foundation of America and the bringing attention to gender differences in epilepsy between women and men and how epilepsy is treated, that that was my most important contribution um, in my life so far, even though it wasn't as well known, it didn't generate radio interviews and such. But and we will and talk I, more about the epilepsy later. Yeah. Well, and so you asked me how the what the Smithsonian did made me feel, and yeah. what it what it did was it made me recognize that that work truly did have a level of importance that I had not assigned it. And, you know, I had held my work at the, with, the, um, with epilepsy higher, and so all of a sudden I understood, no, really the sports bra wasn't... I just said, oh, I made a product, you know, <laughs> kind of mm -hmm. big deal. Well, I understood that it was a, a big deal. I can understand you thinking that the epilepsy work would be better because for people who have severe epilepsy, it, it 
can be difficult for them to have any kind of normal life. And it can, I believe, be life-threatening. Am I correct about this? Oh, yes. And okay. not, just for people, not just for people who have severe epilepsy, but this is a, this is a um, difficult and hot topic to talk about. And, and, there and let's are, say, let's, let's tell people that you are the one that has epilepsy. This isn't for some family right. member. You are epileptic. Okay, go ahead. Yes. So... Um, there is controversy amongst the epilepsy community about how much to talk about something that's called SUDEP, which is sudden, unexplained death from epilepsy. And so, wait a minute. That's S E no S U E E P. Okay. All capitals. SUDEP. And mm-hmm. um, and it's a di- it's difficult because you don't want to. Uh, scare people unnecessarily um, or frighten the families unnecessarily, but then these things happen and the families go, what the heck? So so it's not just, the point of this is that it's not just people with um, severe, uh, you know, a seizure disorder where, where they're having seizures, multiple seizures every day. Yours is not that bad, right? No, 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 no. No, mine is not. I am. Um, I've been able to have a. I'm, I'm a fairly normal, quote unquote, life. <laughs> you know what is normal? Come on, let's talk. <laughs> well, the thing is, epileptics were not allowed to drive because the idea was you never knew when they were might have a, a seizure behind the wheel and not only hurt themselves but somebody else. But that can be un, that can be controlled now. Am I right about this? Yeah. Well, and also I I would like to correct you that um, oh we do not like to uh, use the term epileptic because oh okay then that's defining the person by their disease okay and uh, so the the politically correct term these days is a person with epilepsy much more words to say. The definition of of epilepsy is when you have more than one seizure. Like some people have a seizure because they had a heart attack or some external factor that that just causes the the brain and the body to end the body, to seize, to have a a seizure. But then they don't have another one because it was from Mm -hmm. some other... Now let's quickly. That makes say, sense. I'm not a doctor, okay? I'm uh-huh. not a. So, um, if you have questions about this, contact your doctor. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's my disclaimer. Anyway, yeah, there's a lot of myths. There's still some stigma around having epilepsy. Uh, that's a whole other part of my life. So just tell us a little bit about what you did. You said something about the difference between men and epilep and men and women with epilepsy. Yeah, um, in many health, well, I won't go there. Um, there are gender differences uh, in how the disease or condition, whatever you want to call it, uh, presents mm-hmm. itself, and they were not being recognized by the medical community for a long time for many mm-hmm. reasons. And uh, in my work, and I knew all my growing up years about certain things that were true for me that were um, not recognized by my doctors. And okay. it, was very, it was very frustrating. And um, uh, so when I became a board member at the Epilepsy Foundation, I saw an opportunity, oh, and I met other people there that said, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, but it's just, yeah, that's, uh, we see that all the time or that kind of thing. I'm going, then why isn't it recognized or why why is it being treated or, um, and they said, oh, well, you know. Now, I should say that epilepsy is the oldest documented disease. Really? uh, Yeah, yeah, I mean goes way, way back, way back. 
And so for hundreds of years, literally, women have been saying, uh, and it has to do with hormonal changes. And women have been mm-hmm. saying, I have a seizure around my menses or when I'm pregnant, it's this way and post-pregnancy, it's that way. And no doctors have, took it seriously. And when the studies were done, they were, they were not, the studies weren't taken seriously because they said they were not statistically significant number of people in the study. So, <laughs> Let's not even talk about how women and health, uh, health, health community for so long and even still discounts women's ailments. Well, and you know that the, the FDA did not, you know, all drugs are tested before they go on the market. There are clinical trials of drugs right, before sure. they go on the market. Right. Well, do you know that until as recently as 1994, I think, I think that's mm-hmm. the correct date, no women were used in the clinical trial, or if they were used, they were, could not be of childbearing age. So they were... And even if they were not of childbearing age, they were still given um, uh, birth control. Because they didn't want anyone to get pregnant and be on an experimental drug and have a not healthy, happy baby. Well, that does make a certain amount of sense. Then the drug would go on the market and be prescribed to women as well as men. And have a different effect. Because women's Hormonal life, you know, biochemistry is Mm -hmm. different from a man's. Also, the therapeutic level of a drug, they'll say, okay, well, 100 milligrams of this is considered to be a therapeutic level. Well, in a woman, it could be completely different. And so there would be post, what's called post-market feedback based on how it affects people. Yeah. So... Anyway, uh, while at the uh, while at the Epilepsy Foundation, I um, they needed to have a lot of experts agree that there was that they had seen gender differences from their perspective. So we but now this is many years ago. Now this is in the 90s, early 90s. Mm-hmm. So we called together a group of different doctors from different specialties like OBGYN and I think pulmonary and um, neurologists and um, anyway a bunch of different doctors. I raised the money for this really quickly, called in all these doctors, had them talk about what they've seen and came up with a white paper that said yes. Very (laughs) So that started research um, for the statistically significant research. Anyway, so these and wow. we started the women we started the Women in Epilepsy Initiative, which is, to this day is a program with the Epilepsy uh, Foundation. Wow, that is pretty impressive. Well yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that so that's the work that I am I was most proud of. And this is work I did after um, selling the, the Jog um, bra, and um, but now I I see the jog bra uh, in the invention of the product and the marketing of it as, as um, pretty important in and of itself. You know what this uh, reminds me of is the birth control pill. At first, it was just something so women didn't have to worry about getting pregnant when they didn't want to, and it wasn't until much later that it was recognized as one of the most significant developments in the 20th century because of the freedom it gave women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, this sounds very much the same. Wow, you go, girl. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Susan. You're welcome. So I want to talk about the business part of it a little bit, a little bit more than we have one thing, when you were looking for funding, you went to the um, Small Business Administration, which, by the way, any entrepreneur listening, they have so much helpful stuff for you. Definitely look into them. It's a federal oh, yeah. uh, agency. Yeah. And 
you, were, you wanted to get funding, and the SBA said, well, hang on, uh, you have to write a business plan because that's what banks go by. And nobody wants to write a business plan, and nobody thinks they can except well, anyone from the SBA can do it in about an hour. Um, but you said that it wasn't so much that it was needed for getting a loan, although it was, but I have here a quote from you that really writing a business plan with financials was just an exercise and a test, an exercise to make us think through many aspects that, other, that we otherwise might not have and a test of our intention, sincerity, and dedication to our proposal. Um, yeah, I, I've heard that so many times that when if you've got a really good business plan, you know your you do it for yourself, even if nobody else needs to see it, because it really shows you all the ins and outs of your business, what you're doing. It makes it very clear in your own mind. Or, or it doesn't. And you and you go, oh, uh oh. <laughs> you, know, you realize that there's this whole area that you have not a clue about, that you haven't thought about, mm-hmm. and you go, I better find out about that. <laughs> yep. I, I mean really. Yeah. Because there are things like you talk about you didn't know what you were how much you were gonna sell in year one, year two, year three. How do you guesstimate that? Well there is a way. I don't know what it is, and you didn't either, (laughs) but the point is that this is part of what mentors are for, is helping you figure that out. Well, and and I have to really give props to the SBA. They they were fabulous, and they give you this this business plan outline kind of thing to, to fill out. And mm-hmm. and they, you know, I would call them up and say, wah, 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 wah. a template basically is what you're saying, right? They gave you a template. I, yeah, I guess. Okay. That would be the word these days. And, okay. Um, uh, I didn't mean to interrupt so, you. Yeah, wah, 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 wah. That was kind of good. <laughs> I'm so articulate, right? <laughs> oh yes, I love it. <laughs> but they would you help you out. They would definitely help out and. When it came to what am I going to sell, they would, they would. I, I remember they said, just make it up. And I said, <laughs> and and after that, you, said, you know, so I did. And but wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What did you, I thought you knew what you were selling, a sports bra. No, no, the numbers uh, of sports bras. About oh, oh, okay, how much you're going to sell. Yeah, they told you to just make it up? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing, I'm ge- I just have to say this, I'm guessing the banks know that this happens. I'm guessing what they're looking for is how well you have thought everything out and how well you know your business. And also, again, the test of are you really going to go through mm-hmm. and do this not particularly easy exercise and I don't mean easy in the I mean like it's not easy at all well and how enthralled are you with this idea and the more the more you dig into it what happens is the more you dig into it and say well if we sell a hundred then that means we're going to have to buy this much material and then that means we're blah 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 and you get into it and into it into it and if you're really invested and in, I use the word enthralled in your business idea, then that engages you even more, not less. Uh-huh. You know, it's like, really? Is this what it would cost me to make wow. them? Really? Oh, and how am I going to sell them? Mm. Well, that's interesting. Well, really? So, and I, and I think I told you, I referred to the financials I did in that plan as financial fairy tales. Yes, yes, you did say that. But the reality mm-hmm. is that once the real numbers start coming in, I mm-hmm. had a whole template for to change so I would know what it would really cost. Oh, okay. So if you had done your figures on selling uh, 5000 a year 
and you sold 10,000, you would know how much your costs were going to be, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Right down the line, right? Down the line. Yeah. So it was, it was brilliant. It, it was really brilliant. How long did it take you to do it? The business plan? Yeah. I don't, I, frankly, I don't remember now, but I, it, it was in days. I mean, what, no, it, of, it would have been months. My, uh, no, it was days. But mostly, I think, because of my approach avoidance uh, habit. Ah, yes. Procrastination. <laughs> <laughs> I would sit down and look at it and do X amount and then go, I'm going to walk away from this now. And, now, I, I know my brother was writing a business plan, and he went to the SBA. And uh, six months after he started, they called him to say, we just want to know, because so, ga we gather this information, when was it that you gave up writing the plan? And oh, he said, interesting. Well, yeah, and he said, gave up? I haven't given up. I'm still on it. It took him a year. Now, granted, he had full-time work at the time, too. But he said he had set aside one file for uh, the, all the information. He ended up having a full file cabinet. Now, his included a facility as well, so that puts it on a whole different level. Yeah. Um, but anyway, the point is, any entrepreneurs listening to this, the business plan is a major undertaking but it's a really yes. important one. So you got to do it. I, I wouldn't ever go into a business without doing a business plan. Yeah, nobody would go into it with you without a business plan either. <laughs> you know, there's something else um, in that same uh, either article or blog post, whatever it was, says that part of what helped you you say the Vermont Small Business Administration had minority quotas to fill. Well, everybody does. Every state has them. Um, you have to hire a certain or give a certain amount of loans to minority-owned businesses. And you say back then, women constituted a minority. We still do. Really? Oh, my gosh, yes. <laughs> I mean, if you're a black woman, you're golden. I mean, <laughs> you can because you got two minorities covered there. Well, I, you know, I wonder now, I, I didn't think about it at the time, but if I could have said that I was a handicapped woman because of the epilepsy. <gasps> yes, you could have. Oh, yes, wow. you could have, I think. But hey, you got what you needed. But, but I think that again, because I think most of my listeners are, or not most, but more of my listeners are women than men, I think which actually is kind of the definition of most, never mind. But I think women don't understand that we have this in. And the thing is, some people think it's unfair to give minorities a break like that, especially considering women a minority. But the truth is, business is different for us. We have different issues. Same with, uh, with blacks. Their culture is different. They face discriminations that the white male does not face. So it's not always fair. No, of course not. Nothing's always fair. But in general, this really is something that is needed to give everyone a chance at owning a business when they've really got the passion for it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, there used to be this thing. That's right. I wanted to ask you if you knew about this. It was a strap that went over the top of the breasts. And it was called Breast Friend, which I like. No, no, no. This kept them from going up in the first place. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I, mean, I did that. Yeah, I did that sometimes. I'd take a scarf when I didn't. Because jog bras were not always supportive enough for women with with. with Boobs, with right. <laughs> significant right. boobs. Um, right. And I would, yeah, yeah, but they're getting much better. Um, I mean, I have no trouble getting plenty of support from jog bras now. Now, I'm not unusually large. I'm very much average, but jog bras did not used to handle that. 
But I used to take, I remember taking scarves and tying them around the top of my breasts to well, hold them down. letters from, from women who would um, talk about using ace bandages. Around. Yeah, you know why you can't do that? If you put it around your whole chest, because it compresses your chest and you can't breathe. Ouch. And they, yeah, and they get tighter as you work out. That's, that's why that is not a really good fix, because believe me, I tried that one. Um, <laughs> and that's, but, that's why they were writing us. Said, that would make yeah, sense, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I, I never understood why that breast friend, it was not meant to be in place of a jog bra, it was meant to, be, uh, to augment it. I could never understand why that didn't take off. Do you know anything about it? No, I don't. I do not. Yeah, it seems like such a good idea, and it just, before I could even buy one, it was gone. Um, so I just went back to using my scarves. But anyway, I'm, I'm looking at this thing saying, uh, I'm looking at this thing saying that the sports bra turns 30. Oh, well, that was in 2009. So it's like, uh, what, 36 now. Um, trying to think, yeah, oh, that, gosh. that, <laughs> just, how to make yourself feel really old. Is that what was going on in your brain just now? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Now, before you developed the sports bra, what were you doing? Before that started making money for you, what were you doing? Or, or were you? I know you were married, and in that time, it was still possible to live on one salary. I was... Uh, doing a few things. I was a part-time secretary at the University of Vermont. So then I could take classes for free because I was finishing my ah. undergraduate degree. And mm -hmm. at the time that I started Jogbra, I had been accepted into the graduate degree program there. So I'd gotten my degree in education and was getting my master's in educational administration. Ah. And um, I also was building stained glass windows and lampposts. Yes. I'm, I, I remember something about that. Stained glass. And you, you, the comment that you wrote after that was, this was the 70s after all. Yes, yeah, stained glass was, was really popular then, was it? It was, it was like... An LSD trip, all the colors. I know nothing about an LSD trip, but I do remember that those two were somehow connected in people's minds, weren't they? Really? I didn't and, know that. Okay, I could just be making it all up. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, you know I, I was an artist, but I figured I had to make money. And so that was, you know, you can't go on the craft fair route and be selling paintings and stuff and so and that's and actually I had a, a bent for the cra the craftier stuff so and so I was teaching I was teaching stained glass also at the university and uh, hmm. anyway you know I was doing a bunch that, of stuff. they had a stained glass oh I guess the art department would yeah 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 and I it, it, so that was all the kind of stuff I was doing trying to finish my education, start on a, uh, you know, all that stuff. I think what I'm trying to get at is what were your aspirations at that point? Because, of course, you didn't grow up thinking, I want to invent something that's going to change women in sports. Uh, I mean, I'm guessing you didn't think that growing up. <laughs> so well, what was your background? That's my background. Um, what a good question. The, the truth, Susan, the truth is I was a seeker and still am. I knew... A, a sleeper? Seeker. S-E-E-K. Oh, seeker. That makes much more sense. Okay. <laughs> I was afraid it wasn't going to make any sense. No, no, no. That makes sense. So you, you weren't sure what you wanted to do. I just you, you felt just, this, 
yeah, right. I was not. I I was. I liked to. I I, I also wrote. I've been a writer since I can re- ever remember. And uh-huh. um, so it was. What is my purpose in life? I was a kid who was always asking that. Mm. What is the meaning of life, and what is my purpose in life? <laughs> you were a precocious child. I was. One of my first words was indubitably. Seriously? <laughs> Seriously. Really? And I used it correctly. You, you actually knew what it meant. Oh, my gosh. Uh, that, but, I have never heard that. Uh, and so, you know, and I knew I had to earn a living. I mean, I knew, and also because I had epilepsy, I had this feeling as I got older of, oh, Christmas, I don't want to be dependent. Yeah. You know, I, I never want to be dependent. And um, so that was. That was that. I think and one thing we need to say about epilepsy is that there are medications now that most epileptics can lead re- normal lives, can't they? Uh, I don't know the statistics now. Um, most. Um, Maybe a lot, like those with mild conditions. Epilepsy is one of the. Um, most mysterious diseases. They often, unless there's been a head trauma, uh-huh. like a lot of the football players, they don't know why people have seizures. And, really? Um, so, and there are all, as you said, there are all different kinds or levels of intensity. And mm-hmm. um, many people are controlled um, to different degrees um, so, it's hard to make any generalizations. There are many mm-hmm. different kinds of seizures as well. Um, so well, but I mean, where I, was, where I was going with this is, it is now possible for some people with epilepsy to, see, I remembered what you told me, for some people with epilepsy to get driver's license, right? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And every state is different. You, um, which is also interesting, uh, you have to be seizure-free for a certain amount of time in mm-hmm. order to get your driver's license. And don't you have to have a doctor's approval as well? Uh, well, the doctor, I think, has to say, uh, uh, oh, has, say that has you've been right. seizure-free for that amount of time. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess they wouldn't just take the person's word for it. Okay. Well, we are just about out of time. What would you like to leave us? Oh, wait a minute. First of all, the name again, Lisa Lindahl, L-I-N-D-A-H-L. Well, I'm looking at it here. I didn't remember it. (laughs) Uh, And you can also find her under Jogbra, History of the Sports Bra, anything like that. Now, your real name is Eugenia, correct? Not quite. It's um, Eugenie. Eugenie. The only reason I mention that is you may, it may come up that way in a search. And so I just want listeners to know that's the same person. It's, and that's, um, uh, it doesn't have an A on the end. It's Eugenie. It's like Eugene, only it ends in I-E. Okay. <laughs> Eugenie. That's different. That's interesting. I like that. Okay. okay. It's a family and, name. Yeah. So, oh, well, that makes sense. So is there anything you would like to leave us with? Oh, wait a minute. You know, I know what I want to ask you. What are you doing now? Oh. Because you've sold the business. I'm, make, um, I'm making art, and um, I sit on a few boards, and I'm uh, just finishing a book. Oh, yeah? What's it on? It's about the importance of true beauty and how we have to um, understand the difference between uh, glamour and shallow beauty and true eternal beauty and why it's so important. 
You know, it's interesting because I don't think a woman can be beautiful until she's right around 40. She can be pretty. She can be stunning. She can be all that other stuff. But I don't think she can be beautiful until she's that age. Because I think pretty is what God did. Beautiful is what you did. Well, this has nothing to do with uh, the appearance of the human form, really. Oh. Um, yeah, this is beauty. This is eternal beauty. This. Is well, no, that, that's what I mean, that you, your face reflects who you are. Well, as Cahil Gibran has a great, um, oh, watch me paraphrase mm -hmm. it incorrectly, uh, he says something about, as he put it, uh, beauty is the light in the heart. Right. I mean, I hadn't heard that, but that, that absolutely fits with what I know. Yeah, and it's, so. um, and that's, that's what this, what I believe, actually, and, uh, well, I actually know it to be true, is that eternal beauty is the, um, uh, true beauty is the raison d'etre, sorry about my bad French accent, <laughs> raison, raison d'etre. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, of the universe. It's always, you know, the universe is expanding and it's always reaching towards true beauty. And um, that's what this book is about. I remember when, you remember when they'd have parents day at school and your, your mother would come and sit in the back of the room? <laughs> remember that? My mother, uh, no, but I'll, I'll go with it. But you know what I'm talking about? Okay. My mother <laughs> would come and sit in the back of the room with the other mothers. And remember when this was, there weren't any fathers sitting there. But afterwards, um, kids would come up to me and say, Susan, your mother is so beautiful. Well, no, it's, it's not beautiful. I mean, what they were saying was she had that inner beauty that was so attractive, uh -huh. even though she was not a traditional beauty. Uh-huh. I know. That's what they were saying. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't at the time, but I do now. See, I believe that if if we all were to pay attention to and nourish and uh create true eternal beauty in our everyday lives, which we can all do, doesn't cost a cent. Mm -hmm. um, we could literally uh, many of the pathologies of our current civilization would just melt away because when you're uh, enacting and uh, paying attention to true beauty, those pathologies cannot cannot exist. That <laughs> makes a lot of sense. Right. <laughs> so what is the book called? Well, its working title is at the moment is uh, the way of true beauty, uh, how to reclaim uh, beauty and save the world. <laughs> but I don't think that everyone quite gets my sense of humor. So now, the way of sure we can call it. Yeah. Yeah. But the way of true beauty that refers to Tao. Uh, a bit, yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. But and you know, and then I go on to say and save the world, which a little tongue, well, but. It's a working title. <laughs> so I, I, I the way uh, it may remain the way of true beauty. That one I could buy. Uh, I mean, literally. But anyway, when should we be looking for this book? Well, what a good question. I really hope um, in the spring. This spring of this of 2016. I hope so. All right. All right. Maybe we'll come have you back on uh, when that comes out. Talk more about that. Fabulous. Now, my editor could kill me for saying that, but I'll try. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, Lisa, I, this has been so much fun. Thank you for being on my show. Well, thank you for inviting me. I really enjoyed it. I'm so glad. 
And you've been listening to In Other Words. I'm your host, Susan Scher. You can find me and my editing and writing business at inotherwordsgroup.com. You can find my podcasts at Podbean. Just search for In Other Words. I'm also on iTunes. Search for In Other Words Talk Radio. Thanks so much for joining us. Join us again. Bye-bye. In other words. In